0: So there, we, we, we actually got a couple of questions. We'll start with discipline. So we got a couple of questions on on discipline. One specifically about advice for handling young toddlers, 12 to 16 month old toddler tantrums when they're still too young to regulate their emotions and understand scripture references. <laughs> and then just... And then I also, along the same lines, what does this look like biblically, discipline, and when do you enact discipline? Does allowing a three strikes, you're out kind of approach show or teach kids only to receive grace at a certain point? So maybe start with toddlers first.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think... Um, we became better at this after the more children we had. Um, my advice would be to be, remove the child from the situation that has heightened their emotion. Because a lot of times the setting itself, once they've behaved in that moment, in that space, um, then everything else just encourages them to continue. If they're really young and you're able to just pick them up and distract them and move them on from something else, um, then, then that can help them calm down. And once they're calm, even though they might not understand it, then you're able to use words, especially the scripture, um, to, to like aim right at their heart. But no matter the age of the child... If their emotions are heightened, it doesn't matter what you say, they're not going to be able to receive it. So doing whatever is necessary to be able to um, get those emotions under control. And sometimes just a simple picking up, moving to a different place or picking up, swinging them around, you know, kids at that age are pretty easily distracted and then addressing the heart.
2: Yeah, I just want to, I just want to address the three strikes thing. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) I mean, honestly, if, you know, one of the things with discipline is you discipline a child for doing something in rebellion. You don't discipline them for making mistakes. Like if a child spills a glass of milk, big deal. But, and we were talking about this earlier, uh, but if, if you tell the child, don't set your glass there because that's uneven and it will spill, and then they set their glass there and that spills, that's not a mistake. That's rebellion, right? And, and so you discipline then, but you discipline at the act of rebellion. What, one of the things Pam was saying uh, earlier was the fact she didn't wait for me to get home. Well, because, I mean, kids are like beagles, you know, if you don't discipline them right when the action happens, they're really not going to remember. Uh, and, and, and so if you teach them three strikes, what you're essentially teaching them is it's okay to ignore you, uh, you know, the first two times. And and, and so if, if you discipline lovingly right when the action happens, that is, that is not building that because if you do the three strikes thing, at the third strike, when you discipline, they're like, "Wait, I did this, you know, I, I did this twice a minute, and nothing happened, and now you're, now you're going to do this." So it causes confusion for children. Uh, whereas if you if you discipline in the moment, uh, that that will give them a consistency, which I think is is the single most important aspect of parenting is consistency.
3: Um, so I, I think that one of the reasons why Brian asked Lisa and I to be on this panel is because uh, we have a tendency of leaning towards the license. Like that's just our personality. Like Brian talked this uh, morning about the uh, legalism and the license. And so I, I think we as um, parents, just like Paige, have, Paige said, it, have grown in discipline over over our time as parents and part of that is uh that we used to just not it just didn't bother us like we just kind of like let let kids like get away with things and we'd just be like eh, you know whatever and because it, it didn't bother me personally but now I'm seeing that I need to as I've watched that grow in some of my kids like I've, I've watched the things that I didn't address grow in them um you know like whining or temper tantrums like temper tantrums when they're two it's hard to address but man temper tantrums when they're four is like really bad you know and then when they're six it's like really really bad and especially when the younger kids are starting to learn it from the older kids and you're like oh why didn't I this sooner and then it's become this like huge issue and that I wish I had had addressed <laughs> earlier so there is that balance um but you know I will say that like just what Butch was saying that um addressing it immediately you know it doesn't have to be like you know bring the hammer down on them right right away but at least like letting them know that that that's not okay you know what I mean and and picking them up talking to them you know whatever whatever the discipline looks like Mm -hmm. at that time you know addressing it right then you know every time is is much better not saying well it was you know okay this time but now if you do it two more times it's going to be bad it's like no this is bad every time and I'm going to address it every time you know, and it, it's going to be discipline. And maybe the discipline gets worse over time because they keep choosing it. Um, but the, uh, you know, making sure that you, you do address it.
4: Um, one thing with discipline, I think that we tend to lean maybe more towards is using natural consequences um, and really trying to tie in those with the immediate response. You know, so, you know, like when, Fights happen, or whatever. Really addressing what you're doing is you're damaging the relationship you have with your sibling. You know that really trying to tie in, this is really the consequence of your of your actions right now, um, and kind of addressing that.
5: Even if a child is too young to understand the scripture, it's just a great habit for the parent to get into to say that um, to use the word, but please do not use the word to discipline if it's almost the only time during the day you default to it. You don't want a child to think that there's anything bad about the Word. So use the Word, but use the Word all day long for the great joys of Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so,
3: I'm, I'm so nervous about that, Pam, that like just d- disciplining with the Word. Um, because I don't want them to have a negative impression of it. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll discipline them, I'll explain you know, to them what they've done wrong, but later on I'll think about, okay, how can I come back later and teach with the Word about this instead of disciplining with them right now.
0: Well, and I think that that actually answers one of these other questions about, do you think using Scripture to correct our kids can make them bitter towards God? Um, If you were to say to my children, God is pleased when you share with others, I'm worried that saying things might shame them or discourage them when they do something wrong. How do we use scripture and God to help correct kids where they do not become bitter or feel ashamed after they do something? And so I think, I think that's part of it, right? I think it's, you don't use the word of God just for correction and reproof, but it's also for training in righteousness, right? That they'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so I think that's a big part of it. And there was one other thing I wanted to say about addressing or disciplining in the moment. I think, I think that's certainly the preference, uh, but having two anger-based kids uh, many times in the moment has, I, I feel like we've, we've done it in the moment and it's only escalated. Uh, and, and so I think a, another aspect of that is not taking it personally um, and, and recognizing that even if they say, I hate you, like... Recognizing that's just, that's their emotion speaking. That's not a reality. Now that's easier said than done. But I think if you have a, a child that tends toward anger and tends to get riled up, I think sometimes for us we found that it is to let them cool down, remove them from the situation, even when they're older, not just just toddlers. And when they can receive the instruction, then go back. I think in those situations, sometimes kids can calm down by just removing and the discipline like you know, Elise that way for us. Like, I feel like once it's addressed, like she, she tends to handle that well, but some of our other kids, they have to, they have to be removed from the situation and have, you know, now that they're older, sometimes 30 minutes or an hour, or sometimes half a day before we get to go back and have a real conversation about that that's meaningful.
4: Um, Eli, and you guys just brought up this point that I think is a really good thing to emphasize that just because you don't, maybe like you're saying, you can't address it right in the moment or you know, maybe you think of something later that it's not that that moment is just missed forever. Like you always have the opportunity to come back and even days later and bring it up in a teaching sense. You, know, you don't have to say, well, remember when you did this, but you know, maybe even like telling a story um, to be able to teach that lesson because you, you have to teach them over and over and over. Same lesson, same with us. We need the same lesson over and over again
5: thing I just thought of too Ooh, um, in the midst of the and it might be harder with toddlers but as they get older I know for us especially like with teens um, when, when scripture applies to them with their situation for our kids it helped if we were like here's where we messed up and here's how God used this scripture in my life because I did blah 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 because they know we're not perfect I mean they clearly know we're not perfect but to hear us say that, and to hear us say how God has like changed our heart, I think makes them open to to hear Scripture and also to come to us then when they mess up, knowing like, okay, yeah, we know that we mess up too, because we're all, you know, we're we're one of the humans, and that's what we do. Um, one thing that I think saved us a lot of discipline, and I do not think I was this great disciplinarian because I was anger-based. And so um, anger-based people that have anger-based children, you really have to walk away. And I remember when Kurt was older, he said to me, You know, Mom, when I was young, I don't think you would have even had to tell me the rules. I think if you just said, Oh, Kurt, what you're doing right now is breaking the heart of Jesus. I think I would have walked away, and I went. That would have just made me go, really, you know. And I mean, that's the kind of child I was. And so, thinking of that was overwhelming to me. But it's different personalities. But I am. Um, I one thing I did reasonably well when the kids were young, like five and under, was every time we went out, I re- I went over the expectations again. We're out in public. This is what's expected. And that saved, I don't ever remember doing that with them, like right before we would get out of the car, that they ever went against that. But when I failed to, sometimes they would forget expectation?
1: That's a really good point just to make people laugh. This is a story that happened with me. I, I guess I inherited that um, skill from my mom and when my kids were really little it was a lot taking all of them anywhere. We were getting ready to go in the grocery and I said okay we're getting ready to go in a store. Who can tell me? How are we going to behave? And my child, my loud child yelled from the back of the van like
5: normal people.
1: (laughs) And I was like, oh, I was looking for other things, but that works. Let's go with normal today.
0: I think the last thing I would say about discipline is it needs to be consistent. You can't discipline for one thing one day and not do it the next day. Like it needs to be every time. And I think that builds a sense of Um, well consistency you know for our kids to just to just recognize like that that behavior that is is wrong and to keep reiterating that and keep I mean keep plugging away Lisa already alluded to that I mean I think that's so important for me I still commit some of the same sins and God is gracious to forgive me and and to discipline me and so again that's where that grace comes in to be consistent to recognize that we discipline with the long view in mind with with who they're going to be when they're adults. I think that covers that covers those. Um, there's two on on specifically prioritization of marriage. Uh, practical ways to prioritize <laughs> practical ways to pri- prioritize your marriage over children when babies need some more important need. When baby's needs, sorry, seem more important, uh, seem like a, a more important need to take priority. And very similar, how do you keep from losing focus on your marriage during the busy seasons of parenting?
3: Um, I, think, I think for us as we have um, very set, like these are, these are family, this is, this is mommy, daddy time you know and 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 the girls know like if it's you know I'm I'm going to we have a set bedtime and then after this time like you're not going to be able to come and ask mommy to braid your hair like it's like you're you're you have to go to bed like and it's like no you know this is it's past the time and if they have like a real need like we'll we'll address it but you know if it's it's not going to be like them getting out of you know bed just to do what, whatever they want cuz then they will they'll just keep pushing it and so we we typically have a, a Friday night date night and um, make sure that we guard Friday night as like our time. You know, we're going to watch a movie together, even if it's, you know, we usually go out to dinner as a family or something, and then, um, you know, but the, the kids go to bed at a good time so that we have time together. And then um, each night through the week, we try to be pretty structured about bedtime the best we can so that we have 45 minutes or an hour or so after the kids go to bed before we have to go to bed to get to spend talking and hanging out and doing things
4: be intentional it's not going to happen if you don't make it just like everything else in your life you know so set aside those times and like you said hold them you know it's serious this is the time to invest in my relationship with my husband
2: we we didn't do a horrible job with the parenting thing when the kids were growing up we had a lot of kids coming in and out of our home all the time Uh, but we did a terrible job at marriage I and mean, we just, we weren't good at marriage. Uh, we were unified when it came to the kids. You know, we didn't argue about discipline or those kind of things. We were all on the same page. But when it came to us, that just wasn't a priority for either one of us, is that, is that safe to say? Uh, and you know, until Paige's senior year after Kurt had gone and she was getting ready to graduate and she sat us down in the living room one morning and said I need to talk to you guys uh, because y'all have been great parents our friends are jealous but uh, you've been terrible role models for marriage and I'm afraid that when I leave that you all won't make it Uh, and so I want you all to commit to me while I'm still in the house that you will work on your marriage. That, that may have been a, a little bit embarrassing at that point. Uh, and incredibly convicting. Uh, and, uh, and, and Pam and I started working on our marriage from, from that point. But we didn't get that part right. And the reality is, biblically, the marriage stuff is foundational and the parenting stuff is built on that. Uh, and And so... You know, that would be probably one of my greatest regrets, if not the single greatest regret I have when it came to raising children was that I didn't prioritize my wife.
1: I feel like this question probably came from a female because as the woman, typically you're taking care of the children in a different way than the man is and I was actually thinking about this same idea this week and it dawned on me that I I know adoption is a little different but marriage is the only relationship or marriage um, is the relationship that we are making a covenant to someone even whether it's birth with a child or um, a child through adoption yes there is a, a legal binding there but For believers, we view the covenant of marriage differently, and that says it's foundational and it is imperative to prioritize that. Um, As a woman who is taking care of the little ones, I know for me, when my kids were younger, you know, if Brian, like... Touched my back after I'd been touched all day. I just like, oh, like, please, no more. I've been touched all day long. Um, But then I realized that I was hurting him, and I was saying that our children were more important to me than he was. And so it wasn't that necessarily a physical change had to take place as much as a mental shift that I had to ensure I couldn't say to him at the end of the day, I've given everything I have to our children. Well, that's unfair, and honestly, that's not right, because then I'm saying, I'm not holding up my end of this covenant. Um, So I think, like, kind of recognizing the importance of what you made, and for most of us, we made the covenant first before we added in the children, and so recognizing, like, that's your first calling, and that's your first priority,
3: Say one more thing, kind of add on to that. Um, that. I think it's really good for our kids to see um, us valuing our marriages. That um, I think that it creates a stability in the home where they see, hey, my daddy loves my mommy and my mommy loves my daddy. And that that bond is important and it's not going to go away. And I think that like that that stability is, even if they do complain that I make them go to bed, that it is... Um, that they thrive in it.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I will say there's, there's not much that I, I will discipline more severely for if I catch my kids trying to divide me against my wife. Like, I hate that. And I think they know that, and it doesn't happen very often. Now, they might come to me on some things first because they recognize I will probably say yes. Um, LAUGHTER And so, so that, that sort of thing happens, but if, if they ask her and she says no, and they come to me and to, after that, and I don't know about it, like there's going to be serious consequences because we are a united front. Even if I disagree with her, I will agree with her if she's already, if she's already made her, her, her answer, then I always say, Hey, mommy and I are on the same team. Like I'm, I, what her, her answer is my answer. Like that's always the case. Now, I would say maybe there's been a, a one or two or three times I couldn't even name them where maybe we've gone later and had a conversation about it and, and decided to change that decision about something later. But most of the time, like, and that would happen up not with them in front of us because they I, we always present a united front. And I want I think that's so important for our kids to see that. And I think that lets them see that, Hey, marriage, their relationship is, is, is first and primary. And honestly, I don't shy away from saying that if they, you know, there have been times where you're having those conversations about, do you love mommy more? Yeah, I do. Like, I do. I love, I love my wife more because I'm called to love her more. And I know that seems hard, right? It seems hard. It's like, this is my children. But it's like, no, I'm called to love her. I'm called to love her first. And because I love her, I can love you more. You, you know, what I mean? not more, but you know what I mean. I can, I can love you better, uh, because I love her more. Um, and I think that's the way that, that God has, has designed it. I thought there was one other thing I had in my mind. Oh, practical ways. Practical. I wanted to give one practical thing. I'm going to give away one of my secrets. There was a, <laughs> a couple, a couple, yeah, a couple years ago, we had a conversation and, Uh, Paige and I did and and she shared some things about like because I think I'd had the question of like what what things like do you how do you receive love and and what things make you feel most loved and I really tried to take note of those things so much so that um, I I went and and made a list of other things that I thought man this these are practical ways that I can show my wife love and so what what I did was I just said this is how frequently that I would like to be reminded, and I just set reminders in my phone because I I need that, and that I know that sounds that might sound bad, but and I don't I don't I don't execute on that every single time I see that, but it's it it is just a a, a reminder for me because I'm going to see that and I need to be stirred and I need to be reminded because, you know, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be um I wouldn't surprise if 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 I went three, four, five months, and I hadn't bought flowers for my wife. For her, that's important, and she made that clear, and so I try, I want to be able to do that more consistently, and it's not because I don't love her, that I I just, a lot of times, I'm not in a place where I can get them. The thought's just not on my mind. I think about it, and then I'm in a position where I can't get it, Um, so that's something for me that I, I feel like has been very practical to just little impetuses along the way to, to remind me of just little things that I want to, I want to plan out. And like I said, every time I get the reminder, like it doesn't always work out, but it's at least something practical that's there. That's, that's stirring for me. So,
6: um, one thought is if, um, your relationship is our priority, um, what does that look like? Um, not to the kids, um, but to each other. And so, therefore, because eventually, you hope your kids will move out. (laughs) And so, because that's the plan, right? You're trying to form um, and trying to help children understand um, their walk with God and that they are to be fully functioning adults being able to make decisions. And so, they need to see that relationship. In some ways, I did not do that well. Um, because of, um, of busyness of ministry. I came to Beth and apologized to her. I apologized to the kids because I was not a good role model in this. And so in some ways is what can you do? I'm going to talk to the guys here for a second. Uh, what can you do in, in loving your wife by how you, um, how you take care of her? in the sense of how are you involved in raising children. Because it can become this role thing where I like roles better defined, but the problem with that is, I can quickly become that's her job, this is my job. And then we become siloed. And so one of the things I wish I had done better was that um, I was more involved um, in supporting her and saying, okay, it's, it's daddy time. Beth, this is not time for you to go do chores. This is time for you to get away. So guys, what are you doing? So then you are then in charge of the kids and let your wife go and be who she needs to be and get away and so that she's by herself and has time to rest so i think that's important um and and i think that just understanding those boundaries i really like just that idea of helping them understand one is scripture we're we're trying to help develop the image of god in our children to help them understand when they see you they're going to formulate their image of god and so therefore act out the scriptures it really does. For me, the most important thing I can say to you as parents, fear God. That's the most important thing I can say to you. To fear God is to depend on his faithfulness and follow him and what his scriptures say. And so then, therefore, I'm going to act as the father acted with the son. Remember those? relationships, love, respect, or love, submission, Jesus and the church, husbands, wives, um, parents, children. And so then um, when we think about those relationships and how he's created those things, um, it seems harsh. And you've said it before, I know some have said it before, but you're not going to be your child's best friend and they need to have friendships best friends other than you and so part of this has to do with who am i and how much and what am i willing to do for that child to be my friend because then that's my issue that's not the child's issue that will interrupt my discipline that will interrupt my discussion with my wife that will interrupt um, um, I hope that in your heart, because I hear sometimes this being said, this one is my favorite child, or at least looks that way. <laughs> that would go against Scripture. <laughs> and our kids even joke about it now, I'm your favorite, right, Dad? <laughs> and I would say, honey, you're my favorite first child, <laughs> you know. But ultimately, we should not show favoritism in that way. And so, because it creates problems. But it's just kind of funny how these boundaries are being formed, appropriate boundaries are being formed. I've, it was a fun time, I can't remember which child it was. And, and, um, and so, one of our kids said, Well, you know, Dad. Um, is at 18, I can move out. <laughs> so she was like saying that. As, it was simply, And she was saying that as a threat. So I said, okay. <laughs> I said, do you realize at 18 I can kick you out? <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't have done that like that. <laughs> she, was she was kidding. I was mostly kidding. <laughs> but, hey, you know, this is... These are helping them to come to terms with being an adult. I know this is terrible. I know that you would never do this. But one of my children wanted to move back in. I said, great, you'll pay rent. I want you to understand what this looks like. I want you to understand what the real world looks like. Oh, that's terrible. No. That's helping them to understand. At the age of 16, I want them to have a credit card. At age 16, I want them to have a checkbook. At age 16, I want them to begin to understand these tools and understand that that's what they are. Because when they are starting, hopefully, when they're 18, it's not like all of a sudden we flip a switch and they become an adult. They need to be learning how to be an adult and learning how to, to do what they need to do at age 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and what is appropriate to the age. So.
0: Thanks, Steve. Shifting gears a little bit, I got two questions um, on when to teach sex, talk about sexuality, talk about relationships, physical anatomy that sort of thing. Um, I will say you, there's it's never too early <laughs> it's never too early to start we you want to be the first ones to introduce this to your to your children don't shy away from using penis vagina like. Don't shy away from using those terms, like, because there's nothing to be ashamed of. They have to learn the appropriate times, obviously, um, but at the same time, like, you don't want, because I feel like sex is, is somewhat taboo in the church a lot, of, a lot of ways. We don't talk about it enough, um, and I, that, we don't want our homes to be that way. That, by the time my parents talked to me about sex, I asked them questions that left them scratching their heads and I just kind of wrote it off. I'm just like, I already know more than you, okay? So we don't want that to be the case. Like, I, I want to be the ones introducing it to our to our kids. There's some great resources out there that, that talks about their bodies. There's a lot of books that are written that are out there. Um, you can talk to us afterwards. Um, we've gotten several that, that go through different ages of kids all the way through, you know, puberty. Um, I've had some very detailed uh, discussions with Elijah from the time he was seven, six years old, um, talking about porn, masturbation, like all of that, because that would, that had such a grip on me. Like, I don't want that to be like something that, that he gets introduced from somebody else. Like, I want him to recognize it for what it is. He knows like how damaging that's been for me. And so like, you know, I, I I don't, I think the sooner the better, I think if they're 8, 9, 10 years old, it's too late. Like, you need to do it now. And I, I think, obviously age appropriate, but, I mean, I think we have a conversation about sex every other month, it feels like. And, I mean, it's like when they're young, they don't get it, even when you're, like, in, in going into details. And they'll bring something up, and they're like, wait, that's, that's not how that works, right? Um, but I, I just don't think you can talk about it too much, especially in a, in a culture that's inundated with it that does that does everything to pervert it like we have to hold it up for what it is and and talk about it from from a biblical perspective and the beautiful thing that it is it is and and so my my thing is sooner the better um as as you can't introduce it too soon
4: I, I want to say, too, that it is not the talk. It is not just one talk. <laughs> it is a hundreds, thousands of conversations, <laughs> and I'm really starting to learn this, too, that, like, you know, sometimes we'll have this deep talk, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, and then it'll come back up a little bit later, and I'm like, remember when we talked about this, and it just, deer in the headlights. No, I don't remember any of that. Like, it's, like, the first time we've ever talked about it. I'm like, we've said, we've had this conversation tons of times. How do you not remember? But, yeah, so, I mean, it's an ongoing, constant talk, you know, because, like you said, they're going to be getting it. They're going to be hearing it from other sources. We want to give the positive side of the other side. And then one more thing I wanted to say, that um, it's only awkward on your part. (laughs) (laughs) They have no awkwardness about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I, you know, growing up, it was not something talked about in my home. And so, you know, those first couple conversations, I was like, Oh, but you know they didn't have that feeling at all not you but the kids feel <laughs> <And>, um, <laughs> like it's
2: awkward <laughs> <laughs> but
4: yeah so just just keep keep having the conversation and it'll become less awkward so
2: yeah and I would also say as as parents and, and especially father sons mothers daughters you know the, there are some appropriate conversations you can you can have gender specific like with Kurt, I, Kurt was playing sports from an early age. I played sports. I know what guys talk about when they're playing sports. Uh, and, and so I gave Kurt permission, like if he heard curse words or if he heard expressions that he didn't understand, uh, come to me that it was okay. I, he's not going to get in trouble for saying a word, uh, you know, in, in our conversation, but I wanted him to have permission that there was a safe place to come. I, I didn't want him getting the information from someplace else. Uh, just what was embarrassing was when he'd come to me with something. I mean, oh, I don't know what that is. I, I never heard that. Uh, so, so I would say give your kids permission to come to you
0: with those questions. Yeah, I feel like it's only awkward if you make it awkward.
6: Well, I think if you're not careful, if you... One, you're going to leave, leave that careful because you're, you're going to dread the talk and then you may not have the talk and then you're going to leave it up to everyone else to talk to your child about what God has ordained as good. We, have, we are created sexual beings mm-hmm. and that starts at a very early age. <laughs> and so to understand that is that um, there should not be any forbidden words. Um, I remember... Um, I was preaching one time and said the word sex in a part of my sermon. It's the only thing I said, and I had a father who just had a real problem that I had used that word, and his grade school children were in the um, auditorium. He says, now i got to go home and have that conversation. (laughs) I said, good. You're you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Do you understand how many times the F-bomb is said in front of your children at, at the playground? Do you think they don't have these conversations? They're having these conversations all the time, and in fact, if you create in them and distill in them that sex is a dirty thing, then they're going to, one, come away with it with that understanding, but also it's almost foreboding, and it's going to attract them even more. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to be really honest with it. That's good.
0: Uh, Shifting gears again, how do you encourage prayer in kids who normally and regularly decline invitations to pray?
4: Um, I, I guess the question was encouraging, but I think that I would probably address it And ask you know like let's try to get to the bottom of this like what's causing this hindrance you know why do you feel like you don't want to pray to God you know and and really trying to get out get out the reason behind that what's what's the motivation
0: yeah I can say that one of our kids um, has really wrestled through a lot of doubting made a profession of faith when they were younger uh, but over the last year has really pressed in to just what if the Bible's not true? What if God isn't real? Um, I don't shy away from those conversations. Like our God is like capable and able to make Himself known. Like I encourage those. I encourage them to wrestle with the scriptures. I want to wrestle alongside them and say, "I'm here." Like, but recognize some of this is is God revealing Himself to you. Like, constantly making making Him, you know, presenting Christ and the gospel before the eyes of, of my kids. And in this, this particular child, um, it was probably, it was months. I don't know exactly how long, but devotional times, prayer times, like all of those sorts of things, not interested at all. Um, would not, would not pray, would be present mostly because we would almost force it on him and and encourage, encourage him to, to I knew I was going to slip up there. Um, but I can say that like I feel like consistency and modeling this and trusting God like to to work in our kids' hearts like i think I think that's just key I think you keep like Pam said you keep you keep asking, or maybe maybe Lisa was the one who said it actually like you just you keep asking and keep inviting, and I feel like for this particular child um the last few months especially like God has really kind of broken through some of that. Now, will that season come back through at some point? There's probably a good likelihood. I pray that it, that it doesn't, but it seems that right now God is really like stirring and really moving and, and seen some just brokenheartedness over sin and, and over different things. And it's been, it's been refreshing to see them lean back in to those times of devotion um, and times of prayer. And so I would say just keep on keeping on. Um, and like Lisa said, I mean, obviously if there's an issue to address there to have those conversations, but I think modeling it is, is our, our, biggest, uh, our biggest tool.
1: Yeah, I was going to say all of that. But not give away the child. Um, but <laughs> Did my best. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm teasing you. Um, but the modeling—how important that is—that like our children have the freedom to struggle in our home. Like we want them to know that's allowed. That's acceptable. But just because they're struggling doesn't mean that our faith is. So I think that modeling for them in the midst of that, working it out, you know, wrestling with is important. So like for the kids and I, we do devotions together in the morning and we have a prayer time together and everybody is always invited to pray. And so whether they, the, the kids can decline praying it's not like a requirement for our day to begin um but whether they choose to pray or not like we are still going to have a prayer time even if it means I'm the only one so just modeling that consistency that um they're allowed to wrestle they are free to wrestle and they're going to get to hear me pray over them through the wrestling
2: and as Pam's getting the mic, I would also say (laughs) you want to make A regular part of your day. If the only time the kids see you pray is at the meal and at night, you know, that, that, that tends to compartmentalize it. Rather than, you know, for us, we had prayer t- triggers when the kids were younger, ambulances. I'm going to talk about this some tomorrow. Uh, we've had two helicopters fly over since we've been here. A helicopter flying over this building means somebody is desperately in need medically because they're on the way to the hospital. And so for me, every time I hear a, a, a helicopter in this place, it triggers prayer. Uh, and, and so with the kids, you know, initially that was us that did that, Pam more than me. I want to be real careful to make it seem like I was the lead on that. Pam Pam was much better at that than I was. Uh, but we had those prayer triggers, and eventually it became the kids, oh, there's an ant. They would notice things that, you know, we didn't pick up on. Uh, and, and immediately that would be a trigger for them. Uh, And and I would say Facebook and the news, and I'm going to talk about that some tomorrow, is also a great way. Hey, guys, this is coming up. How do you think we should respond to this? Uh, And give them the opportunity to say, you know, we ought to pray about it. Uh, and, and, And begin to build that desire and that recognition that when something comes up, our first response ought to be prayer.
5: Um, I don't feel like I did a very good job of teaching the kids prayer when they were young. I just, I've tried to remember, did I, what did I do? Um, They fell in love with prayer, though. I mean, any time, I don't ever remember them saying no, they didn't want to pray. So that says a lot about their hearts. But one of the reasons in Plants and Pillars that I always offer prayer is because of kids to pray is because I used to struggle with praying in front of people. And you know when that changed? When God showed me that it was pride. And man, when I found out pride, personal pride was hindering my prayer time, like like other people, like they cared what I prayed. Oh, you know, that kind of thing. Man, I said If I can be around children when they're young, let's defeat that. Let's not let pride be an issue at all. And there are children, it's easier for them in Plants and Pillars to pray or Starry Cluster or whatever. And usually, I will say to them sometime during the day uh, when they pray easily, I knew you would ask to pray. It's always who you are. And I love that, and I try to encourage that and then not discourage those who are not yet there yet, you know.
0: That's good. Um, this will probably be the last one. Uh, how to talk with children about other families that may have different, a different worldview, whether that's uh, how do you honor different parents if they approach parenting differently or if they have a non-biblical worldview?
5: we did this with Santa we were the first people we knew that gave up Santa and um, I remember saying to the kids it's not our place to decide how other families are going to do this kind of thing Um, you don't want them to come in and tell your dad and I how you should be raised so we're going to respect this and honestly um, I've heard parents say, oh, my kids went in and they dispelled Santa for everyone, da-da-da, like that was a good thing. And I remember thinking, I want them to respect other opinions, even when they don't agree with them. And so, um, yeah, Curt and Page never burst anybody's bubble. Um, there was, you know, you can't say there's no Santa because he's right there, but we just know... That he is not the reason for Christmas, and I remember always saying, "People um, will celebrate Santa because they don't know to celebrate Jesus the way we do." And so, yeah, that's kind of that.
0: I think
2: we just crushed anybody's view of Santa.
5: We didn't. We I looked at that, Butch looked at that as a lie, and we didn't want our kids to ever come back. And say so we had lied to them purposely. And you know what? You can lay out stockings, you can lay out all kinds of toys, the joy is still there. They just know that their family who loved them gave them the toys, not some guy they haven't met.
0: When I think on the Santa Claus front, leaning into uh, St. Nicholas and the, the story there is a very good segue. Um, to that and teaching kids that story because it directly points to Christ Um, and that's a good way good way to do it I mean we we kind of opted to follow suit in that and not not teach Santa Claus because we felt like he someone who sees you when you're sleeping and knows if you're naughty or nice sounds a lot like God and if you lie about that are you lying about God I just feel like we we chose to say that it wasn't worth it Um, so go ahead
3: I was going to say very similar things that we we don't do Santa for for that same reason. But uh, I remember our neighbors did growing uh, when our kids were younger at our old house. And, um, uh, you know, I I tried to have a similar talk, uh, you know, saying, well, you know, it's a game that people play. And, you know, like it's, you know, let's not let's not burst the bubble for that for that family. And um, uh, Audrey was like, but they're lying to Brooklyn. (laughs) And I'm like well, if you feel that strongly about it, I mean, like, it's like, it's like, like, well, you're, you're kind of right. And I do understand. you know. So, um, but anyway, like it is, it is a really, I do not have great answers for that because it's a delicate line and we've, um, ministered to families who had different beliefs and brought our, our children over to, um, you know, spend time, spend time with them and with the hopes that we would get to share the gospel and get to invite them into what Uh, we believe and it is just something that is has to be very prayerful and um, leads to lots of good discussions with your kids about like what they what they believe and what we believe and you know like and a lot of times you know our kids can be very bold and like they'll they'll share their faith and just be okay with giving them permission to like you know I, I give them room to be like well you know that is that is what we believe and 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 to not to not shy away not be ashamed of it um, so it's like you know, it's just something that takes a lot of prayer and a lot of conversations. And there's not, I don't think that there's a really good, like, right way to go about it. It's like situation by situation, and um, you know, probably be different for each family.
2: And, and adding on to that, I would say take the opportunity to talk to your kids about the grace of God. You know, there was a time, mommy and daddy didn't believe what we. even explain that we need to pray that in god's time because we we don't want to be the ones that rush in and do something that would hinder them from making that, that step of faith
6: i think romans 14 and 15 is important mm-hmm. um when i said the statement sinners <laughs> it is the exact opposite of romans 14 and 15 um in that romans 14 and 15 is a is um, and and other passages is really important. Uh, Rome, the Roman Church was under a lot of conflict. You had both Jews and Gentiles, and they're intermixed, and so they're fighting over what culture, and what are they supposed to do, and so um, um, at that point, I think it goes back to the scriptures and says you're going to have your preference, and you're going to have your conviction, and my conviction. Um, could be different and the scripture says you're both right now I don't know what that does to your concept of absolute truth (laughs) but the scriptures say in fact it's not even my job to convince you of your conviction is wrong or convince you my conviction is right so guess what Beth and I we actually um, had Santa (laughs) and so but for us, we grew up with that. My mom kind of ushered that in. But when they asked us, we did not say otherwise. We, very young, you know, just, hey, you know, hey, look, talkings. So we didn't talk about it a lot. But when they started having questions, we wanted them to be able to feel like that there was a sense of we can at least come to mom and dad And we're going to speak truth. There are some things that are happening in our culture, even today, that people are grappling with. Churches grapple with this all the time. What is the right thing to do? There are scriptural commands. We will not go against those. There are principles. But then there are convictions. And so then, based upon those convictions, I'm going to hold certain convictions. And in um, that we just need to have grace and love. And so that's just, I'm, in fact, somebody asked me to dress up as Santa and, and at a Christmas party of adults. And there was something in me. just said, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> There's just something in me that just wouldn't, wouldn't allow me to do that. But that's just a, one of those things. You just have to decide what you're going to do.
3: So Steve just reminded me of something that we, we don't do Santa, but I do the tooth fairy. Yeah. So the, uh, but it's not, it's not my fault because, <laughs> because hold it, I hold didn't, it. No, hold on. the, uh, the, the kids came up with it. And, and so I don't want to like squash all of their childhood imaginations. And so, you know, they said, daddy, is there a tooth fairy? And I said, do you think that there's a tooth fairy? (laughs) And so just like letting them do that. And so that's kind of a joke in our house. They all, if they ask, they've asked me and and I'm like, do you really want me to answer that? No, there's not, (laughs) you know, but I still take money in there and and they know that I'm bringing it in, but it's, it's just, or I forget. That's always been really bad. Like, ah, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, but um, I just thought that was worth saying. Yeah.
0: I, thanks for bringing that up steve it's a good point um, because i i don't think like you said there's not a biblical command against santa claus or the tooth fairy and i think what you said about convictions is is good i think each of your, your you know pray through that as far as what that looks like for your home i think that's good advice
4: one last thing too, you know god has uniquely given you your kids you know so it's it's real easy to look around and say well so and so doesn't do Santa and they do do Santa and you know what should we do but like you know God has given you he has equipped you to raise the specific kids that are in your household and it may it will look different like that you know like Eli said I think that you know we have kind of different parenting styles but you know like God knew what he was doing when we had our kids and you had your kids you know
5: and saying that um I wanna say this about discipline. So Butch and I, I wanna say 98% of the time, we did two licks of spanking with the battle paddle and the battle paddle was not associated with us except you know when something was wrong and it saved Kurt hundreds of spankings because all I had to say was, does mommy have to get the battle paddle and he would immediately change. Paige would say, yes, mommy does have to get the battle paddle. (laughs) But um, my mom had said to me something that's not in scripture. She had said, if you spank a child every time they need it until they're five, they'll hardly need it after they're five. That worked for our kids. Seriously, I don't think we spanked five times after they were five years old. So I felt like spanking and the battle paddle probably saved them hundreds of spankings. But everybody's not going to work that way. And certainly if you're angry, you can't spank. Because if you're spanking when you're angry, you know, it's awful. So, man, that's another thing. Like what you're saying, you've got to decide for your family what works.